0: Hey guys, Pastor Matt Chandler here. Uh, One of the themes that comes out in The Overcomers over and over and over again is the centrality of God's word to encourage and build up his saints. It's why I love uh, Dwell Bible app. It's an app for listening. Uh, I kind of use it in the margins of my day. I like to listen to, depending on my mood, uh, Mark or Felix throw on some ambient music and then in my truck or in my study or uh, in a few minutes between this meeting, going into that, soak again in the Word of God. Uh, They've given us kind of an awesome deal here for a yearly subscription. If you go to dwellbible.com backslash overcomers, they're giving us 25% off an annual subscription. So if you're looking for more Bible in your life, in the margins of your life, not just kind of traditionally listening, but listening while you work, listening while you drive, I couldn't recommend the Dwell Bible app more highly.
1: Dependent on alcohol in that way having to have 15 or 20 drinks daily for my body to be okay i mean there was a couple nights where i had seizures in bed and lindsey was literally having to lay on top of me and hold me down as my whole body was shaking my lies to myself had become so bad and so outrageous that i didn't think it was because of alcohol i thought it was anxiety i'm just having these panic attacks i i did not link it I, i mean it was it was delusional
0: Well, welcome back to the Overcomers podcast. As you know, uh, the desire in Overcomers is just to have an honest conversation about following Jesus over an extended period of time through the highs and lows. And what I've been wanting to do is put in front of you, men and women, no blue checks, no super famous people, no pretty bows at the end, no silver bullets, just what does it look like to over an extended period of time keep getting up? What does it look like to cling to Jesus even as you're overcome with doubt or frustration or fear or you feel like he's abandoned you? What what does it look like to believe that you're going to come out on the other side of this with your faith intact, even as you wrestle in a given moment where you think that might not actually happen? And so this week we're going to be talking about, or really in this episode. We're going to be talking about addiction and alcoholism more uh, pronouncedly with some good friends of mine, like people I genuinely love and have known for quite a while now. And it's Ben and Lindsay innigenberg and I will not attempt to spell that on this. Please don't. Podcast. I won't. I can't. I can't, I can't do it. I, I won't do it. it. Yeah, so. I, I, I won't do it. So I'll set up our time together like this. Um, I, I probably know more about Lindsay because she's on staff here than I do Ben. So we've had conversations, just background, history, those things that you and I have not um, really dove into. So I, I meet you, and you guys are married. And Ben, you're always kind of life of the party, um, like, like good time, like to play, snarky, quick-minded, um, obviously followers of Jesus at the church, not just at the church, but like involved in the life of the church. And and, and yet in in all of that, th- there's this kind of insidious thing in the background that really no one on earth knows but you, Ben. So why don't you, like if, we, if that's where we're starting, like why don't you catch us up to how we get to what I'm talking about in this given moment, which is you basically by yourself in places, drinking, and, and then being able to function that way in a real
1: high level. So yeah, I mean, I've Lindsay and I've talked quite a bit about it. And looking back, there were a lot of markers along the way that I had ignored that Lindsay had seen. And um, you know, kind of my mid twenties, I think, is when I started to really ramp up a little bit. It wasn't anything close to what it was in that two or three year period where it got really dark. But there was there was some some traces there. There was there were some signs. And so uh, early on, I, I remember. Kind of dealing with depression and things like that, not really knowing how to handle it well. And how old were you when that? When you start going, oh man, I'm I'm prone to melancholy. <laughs> no, you're not thinking that, right? No. But <laughs> I would say like mid to late twenties. Um, but I mean, at the same time, like you're kind of in denial about everything too. So as I would drink when I first started doing it in a problematic way, it wasn't something I was aware of. It was just something that enhanced my experience. And so Lindsay. She's not as much of a drinker. She kind of got that out of the way in college. And when we met and when we That's were— That's a different
2: podcast, but go <laughs> ahead.
1: Thanks for that, Ben. Yeah, yeah. That's actually the follow-up. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, so so she's she's not really in that realm that I was in. So she's viewed it differently than I did. And so one of our early fights and often fights and maybe just continuous fights was always, hey, I think you're drinking too much. And I always kind of snap back at, hey, please stop trying to nag. Don't control me i'm not doing anything wrong
2: you would tell me that i was prudish in my drinking and that anything was too much for me and you I, were kind of right I, I guess to I did a degree feel that
1: way. i did feel that way but again that was just justifying what i was and so there were times early on in our marriage where um <laughs> i remember one time had a handle of whiskey cheap whiskey i, I was drinking cheap stuff because if you're going to go through it quickly don't don't waste the good stuff And so, I had the cheap stuff, and I just bought a big bottle. And I think it was the next day she had found it up in our cabinet, and it had, like, a few inches left in it. And I made up some elaborate lie about um, the workplace, and we have kind of like a little happy hour room, and I took some there and did this and that. you know, just I I lied so much, even early on, about my drinking. And I think I was lying to me just as much because I didn't think I had a problem that was kind of the early steps that we were we were running and then when we got into our 30s and things were kind of hit and miss i I had a few years where i was running all the time i was healthy i was eating well i didn't really crave alcohol that way so like i didn't drink throughout the week i would only drink on the weekend for like football stuff like that so i had a more of a healthy even though it was was still on the bingy side it was more healthy than than it became and we finally did get to that point where we had, I would say, three to four kind of trauma experiences within a four-month stretch. So her dad got diagnosed with a uh, pancreatic cancer, and for whatever reason, I I had to turn to the bottle for that. Lindsay, who was handling obviously much better, she was just a stronger, stronger person in that way. Um, you know, she she didn't go that route at all.
2: What? Well, I- I was also really pregnant and it's really yeah, not wise.
1: That's true. It's <laughs> she not didn't, wise have, to she drink. didn't have that going for her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I was I was I, honestly Convenient. uh and this is what you and know, I talked about um that year that that, that was 2018 mm-hmm. that spring I was already noticing your drinking was different. Yeah. Um it was problematic it had been for a while it was a cyclical fight but there's something different about your drinking. Um and I felt like you did not have a handle on it it had a handle on you. And then I told you I was pregnant. We, we didn't think we could have kids. Um, we thought it was not going to be a part of our story. We were okay with that. And so we, uh, we had this miracle baby, and you didn't believe I was pregnant at first. That's how um, just it was so out of our out of our mind yeah. and out of probability for us. And, and when I told you I was pregnant, I, I saw it, your drinking escalate. And then, um, yeah, a few months later, four months later, or so, five months later, we found out my dad's sick, mm-hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't going to be okay. Yeah. And it got worse. And like you and said, like you just fast. had a, Yeah. And so your drinking was your way of coping with really hard life circumstances.
1: For sure. For me, drinking was always this thing where—and and this is a common thing among people who have alcoholic tendencies or drink a lot and don't really know they have an issue. But when I would step into a room, I always felt other than. I always felt different. Like everyone else is this, I'm the one on the outside. And so that creates insecurity, anxiety, all these things. So when I would drink beforehand and enter that atmosphere, I no longer felt that way, I felt normal. So drinking made me feel normal. And so I think that was kind of a building block early on that turned into what it did because, oh, this makes me feel this way around people. This is great, I'm not used to this. And so it was kind of a license to continue down that path. But when when her dad passed, Jules was born two weeks later, and then my dad had two heart attacks a few months later. And so that three or four-month stretch was just brutal for me. I mean, I was drinking from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep every single day. And I got to a point where, I mean, I was drinking 15 to 20 drinks a day, and I was functioning. I was working. I was doing all the things, and I I wasn't myself, you know, and— the really frustrating thing for me now knowing that is Lindsay was experiencing this version of me that was a lesser than version. Yeah. I, I was a Walmart knockoff brand, and it was just bad. And so it happened for so long that it became our new normal. And so Lindsay was just used to me being this asshole, really. Um, n- never violent or anything like that, but just my demeanor was different. Yeah. And it was it was always kind of— on the defense and always just kind of ready for battle or whatever. And so that was that was difficult on the other side, coming out and seeing like, sh- this is what she was married to. yeah, And this is who I was, and this is who I was for everybody. yeah, And so people that met me in that period only knew that yeah. version of me, and that terrified me. And so being dependent on alcohol in that way, having to have 15 or 20 drinks daily for my body to be okay, because I got to the point where my body was so dependent if I didn't drink, I mean, there was a couple nights where I had seizures in bed and Lindsay was literally having to lay on top of me and hold me down because my whole body was shaking. My lies to myself had become so bad and so outrageous that I didn't think it was because of alcohol. I thought it was anxiety. I'm just having these panic attacks. Yeah, I I did not link it. I, I mean, it was, it was delusional, but that's what it was. And I could not see it for, for the truth. And so I was— I was in a really, really awful place. I was doing awful things, obviously, within our marriage, just not being trustworthy in any way. And just really depressed and just full of shame and guilt and all these things. And I, I hated myself, just to be honest with you. I, I hated who I was. I hated everything about me. And so in that time, I I had no way of, of believing that God loved me. Yeah. Because I didn't. Did you have any relationship
0: with the Lord at, at at all in this moment? Like are you praying during this? Are yeah. you yeah?
1: Yeah. So so prayer was definitely in the mix. Um, but beyond that, I mean, my my belief in those moments, in those dark moments, in those clouded moments, just not ever being sober-minded, was he doesn't love me. Why yeah. would he? I I don't. Yeah. I don't know how anyone else would. And so I had I had kind of gotten to a point where I felt like everybody was against me, and and not for me, including God, and Lindsay. Um, she went on a work retreat, and she was gone for I think three or four days, and so I was watching Jules, and was taking her to school in the mornings, picking her up, all that stuff. Jules and Jules um,
2: was ten months old.
1: Okay, yeah. So I was I was dropping her for daycare, doing all that. And doing what I always do, having my normal amount of drinks, which t- to me at that time, just this is normal. This is where I am. This is who I am. And so the morning that Lindsay was coming home, I dropped jewels off. And then I was driving back home and I got kind of in the neighborhood and I wasn't really paying attention. And I clipped a curb, tire immediately just flat, gone, done, blew it out and was close enough to home to get home and park. And that morning... I just went and laid down. I was like, I don't know why I feel different today. Like I'd done nothing differently, but something's different about the way I feel. Like I feel more overwhelmed and just out of it. And so when Lindsay came home, she woke me up. And I think my cousin had died that week as well. Um, She had died from an overdose. She was early thirties. And so that probably propelled that a little bit more. But um, when she came home that day, I mean, we, we were already kind of at odds pretty frequently because she just knew something was off about me yeah. and I was hiding it left and right and it was everywhere in the house and I had all all the spots but uh, when she came home it was clear to me when I was trying to communicate with her I couldn't talk like words were not making sense my mind was just not there and so I'm sure we got in a fight I went to go get my tire fixed I'm trying to communicate with them they have no idea what I'm talking about I'm trying to just say, I need a tire, but I can't. Like, that day was just different, and I had done nothing out of the ordinary with my with my routine. And so my firm belief is that that day, God blew me up. He said, this stops today. And if I don't do this now, you won't be around for this stuff. And so I, I truly do believe that I would have died. I, I definitely would not be here if he hadn't done that.
0: Looking back on it now, Ben, did you are you a Christian when you're going through all this? Are you not a Christian at the time? Do you have any clarity on that? I mean, I'm I'm aware of some aspects of sure things that have happened the last couple of years. I know you got baptized. You know, you know. I've seen yeah. those things. I've heard those things. But if you're looking back on that, like I know Lindsay would clearly say, following Jesus, in love with Jesus, growing, being sanctified in my own journey. Would you consider yourself a Christian when you're doing these things?
1: I would say at the time, yes, I would have said that. Um, Looking back on it now, I I don't think that I was. And I think the big catalyst behind that was I couldn't believe that God loved me. Yeah. And so I was just like, I'm on my own. I'm on an island over here. Nobody understands me. I can't tell anybody what's going on because if I do, I'm outing myself. And then what does that mean for our marriage? What does that mean for all these things? But I can't stop. Because if I stop, then my body's going to withdraw and seizures and, you know, people die from that. Yeah. And so I was consuming enough to die, honestly. But looking back, there, there's no way I was clear-minded enough to, to, to know what truth was and what the gospel was yeah. fully. Like, I, I could tell you all the right things, sure. but I wasn't living that way, believing that way. It wasn't my core. Yeah. And so that that was a big thing, too. You know, just if I hate myself, how can, how yeah. can God— hate me. Yeah. That, that, that time was just, there's, there's scattered memories. There's a lot of fog. There's, there's a lot of confusion still. And there's things that I still think back on that I just feel a lot of shame around. But that day that God blew me up showed me in the end that I was worth it. And he he was coming after me. He was chasing me no matter what I did, no matter how much. Yes. And I hated myself, but he didn't, he loved me despite that. And, and he he was showing me, I love you. You need to love you, too. yeah I didn't put all that together in that day, obviously. But that day was the catalyst that moved all that forward. Yeah.
0: And, Lindsay, I'd love to hear from you a little bit. This is a completely different journey for you. This is came to know Jesus, began to follow him. You guys meet. Ben is funny and engaging and clever, and this is the version of him. That, that you met and fell in love with, um, he, he's saying, I, I know Jesus, I, here's, I go to church, the two of you get married, and now you're in this space where um, your husband, this man that you've said yes to, um, is at home something very, very different than everyone else is experiencing him. And, and so talk a little bit about how you're trying to navigate this season of marriage you're working at a church. You're—I um, I don't know how to say it except your people are seeing in you a strength and a giftedness in leadership and and in organizational thinking and in, and it—it it strikes me that there's this strange juxtaposition in your life that's probably not abnormal um, for wives or husbands who find themselves in a marriage like this where you've got this this place that you're going where all your strengths and all the goodness that God's put in you is being celebrated and championed, and then at home, your experience has to be the exact opposite. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. so can yeah. you know, Talk a little bit about especially what I'm looking for is what is your relationship with Jesus look like in the juxtaposition of the season where we're all saying, goodness sakes, this young woman is gifted. And trying to put you in a seat where those gifts can grow and flourish and and come to the forefront, maybe even in your own mind and heart.
2: Yeah. I think I've learned to compartmentalize. I think that's probably why I'm good at my job in a lot of ways. Um, Some some parts and aspects of my job require it. And um, what I did not – I mean maybe just knowingly was doing was I was compartmentalizing. Um, Work was safe. Work is safe. And – it was more clear cut than my home life. Our home life was, it was, our home life was, um, at best not not a pleasant place in this season, and at worst a, a dreaded place. And uh, and that wasn't what I was experiencing at work. And so, work was reprieve in a lot of ways. I was able to be confident, feel useful, um, have just more control. Maybe I don't. Maybe y'all just give me the <laughs> <laughs> illusion because it's just easier for everyone. But um, And I had no control at home. Um, and the more I tried to control, the worse it got. So Ben made this comment earlier. Alcohol, his drinking, was the fight that we always fought, um, even from dating. I was just never comfortable with the amount of alcohol he consumed and the frequency. And it ticked up, and it, and it went down over time. Um, but I was constantly finding myself praying the prayer of God just— Make alcohol so distasteful to him. Like, make it bitter. Um, churn his stomach when when he consumes it. And maybe I wasn't using those kind of words, and I'm, my, my prayers were far more gritty at times, but um, I was— regularly praying that, asking for God to just give you freedom from it, give us freedom from it, heal you from it. Um, and to your point, Ben, I didn't—I also did not know what was going on. You were very convincing that you were experiencing a great deal of anxiety, and I didn't know what anxiety looked like, um, yeah. not to the degree that you were experiencing. And you were getting help for anxiety, and the people you were seeing were telling you, you have anxiety, you need help with anxiety, and no one was saying alcohol. Yeah. And so when I'm here thinking... He has a problem with alcohol. And when I would bring it up, I would bring it up to home group leaders or friends or others. They saw a very high-functioning, very funny Ben. He was really good in social settings to look just like everyone else. And we also found ourselves in situations socially where people just drank. It wasn't abnormal. So I always felt like I was not believed. And maybe I was a little crazy. And anyways, so— my prayer life was often, um, I can't solve this, but God, you can, or will you, or can you? Like I, there were parts of my own prayer life, I was really doubting, are you hearing me? Am I wrong? do not change me if 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 I'm the person that needs to be changed. Help me feel more comfortable with this, and then increasingly so. Um, our marriage, our home life was it, it was dreadful, and work wasn't, and so I preferred it here. Yeah. I did get to a place where I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't share, I couldn't speak up for fear of what would that do for me reputationally? Yeah. what would it look like for the newly executive director um, to share that? Uh, her husband is experiencing such um, difficulty, and it was sinful and it was or embarrassing or shameful or whatever it was what was going on. I, I uh, had a lot of pride, I think, in not being able to share. So
0: And so you get home from either uh, it was either exec offsite or staff, it was staff retreat. And we get home and you had left sweet jewels with Daddy and you come home and he's on the couch and the car's busted. And is that is that ground zero for this thing busting open and starting starting the journey towards some healing?
2: Earlier in the year, after Ben's dad had his heart attacks, Ben witnessed his dad have a heart attack, um, and it was traumatizing. Um, and it sent Ben down a different path that we had never seen before. And I, I begged him to get help, and and so he agreed to go and do outpatient. And so for what six weeks, four yeah. weeks, six weeks, something like that. You did outpatient mm-hmm. and work worked with you. You were able to confess to your work. I need to. I need help. And you were able to figure that out. But it wasn't inpatient. It was outpatient. And um, and for a while, you didn't drink. And then you picked it back up again, and it, it got worse. And what we're realizing in alcoholism is when you do have alcoholism, when you are an addict in that way, and you go for a while without drinking, the next time you drink, it's always worse. It's yeah. always it, You pick back up, and it gets worse.
0: And is that when it gets really secret? I mean, I guess there's always some it was
2: always secret. aspect yeah. of hiddenness.
0: Does it, does it get secret. even more so? as you finish up some outpatient? And then are you feeling the need in that moment to get even more secretive about it?
1: Here's the thing. Like, the first two weeks I was going to outpatient, I would leave outpatient and go drink. Like, I would go pick stuff up on the way home. And so the first two weeks, I, again, like, I'm lying to myself. Everything to me is just anxiety. I don't have a real alcohol problem. And so... I'm in these rooms with people who are going through other things and and I'm so on edge. I'm literally having to stand up, walk around. Like my body just feels like it's vibrating all the way through me. And, and so in my mind, I'm like, man, I got to go drink. Like this yeah. is going to fix it. And so I would go to outpatient and the first two weeks were just a wash because I would immediately hit goody-goody on the way home. And then there was a two or three week stretch where I didn't drink at all. And I remember like man this this sucks like yeah i i wanted to feel altered in some way and i didn't and so i just felt like this boring stripped down generic version of myself and outpatient honestly didn't do me any good because i i was i was not committing fully to it yeah and so i was just kind of checking those boxes and i was just there but um you know I don't knock it. I think people can get a lot out of that. I think there's probably a lot of people out there that if they're walking into that situation and they're committed and they're they're set on getting right and getting clean and sober, it's, it's probably going to be a really good step for them. It just wasn't for me because I was half-assing it. Yeah. I wasn't in. Yeah. I didn't think I had a problem.
0: And then is you standing at the discount tire counter, wherever it was, yeah. trying to talk about tires, you know— I mean, I know Lindsay well enough to know that can't be a good moment. <laughs> Her waking you up, unable to communicate, car broken, you have baby girl. Is, is that is, is the counter at Discount Tire, wherever you were, is that where you're like, you know what, I, I really do. This is not anxiety. I've got a problem.
2: No. No. You came home worse than when you left. And I had gotten to, I, got into, I don't know if I, um, while you were gone, I had reached out uh, to different people to finally just say, this is enough, and because you had gone through outpatient earlier in the year, I, I think I had given myself permission to share with with certain people, loop them in, let them know that something was going on. We knew alcohol was an issue, anyways. I, uh, you came home worse, and I videoed it. And that was the first time I, vi- I took a video of what I was experiencing, okay. and um, because I did not want to seem dramatic, and make this, make the wrong call. This was a, this was going to be a serious call. Yeah. I, I took that video and I shared it with two trusted people. One was a counselor um, who had been walking with you and to some degree you had been honest with. Um, and then another person was just a, a trusted advisor in our life. And I just said, this is what I'm seeing, what needs to happen. And I'm done. Yeah. Also, by the way, I'm done. Um, and so you were no place to be reasoned with that night. You just went and slept it off. The next day you went to work and while you're at work, I I had crucial conversations and I made the determination that when you came home from work, I was going to say, you're leaving our home and you have two options. You can go to rehab or I don't care where you go, but you're not coming back. Yeah.
0: One of, the, one of the ways we're able to bring these stories to you is by partnering with organizations that I've grown to trust and appreciate and love over the last couple of years. Uh, Dwell, the Dwell Bible app, if you followed my ministry, you know I've mentioned it before. It's just one of my favorite tools, like in my own devotional life, in my own study life, uh, to find more ways um, to hear the word of god to absorb the word of god to have the word of god top of mind for me uh, and so i've used it devotionally uh, i've used it in regards to just uh, i'm I'm currently studying the book of daniel and so all day today i've had the the daniel read by mark with ambient music in the background playing on my phone in my truck uh, as i you know uh, walk outside a little bit earlier this morning just finding ways um, to have the word of god um, absorbing into my system and, and the the design, the, the beauty of the app, uh, the various kinds of music that can play under, uh, the accents that can go to. There are so many aspects of the app that could serve to stir your affections for Jesus, depending on preference and desire. Dwell is offering listeners of The Overcomers 25% off a yearly subscription. All you have to do is visit dwellbible.com Backslash overcomers, or you can click the link in the show notes to receive the discount. Hey, this episode of The Overcomers has been sponsored by the Acts 29 Church Planning Network with an invitation to our 2024 Next Conference here in April in Dallas, Texas. I'm gonna be speaking alongside of a, a stellar lineup. You're like, you're not gonna to wanna to miss it. Uh, we've got Brian Loritz and Sam Alberry, John Piper, and more. Uh, and the hope of the next conference is really what we're trying to do is equip and encourage you as church planters and church leaders, really regardless of the type of church or type of ministry that you're in. And I would love to see you there. To learn more about this and to register for next, you can just go to acts29.com backslash next and if you're an overcomer listeners you're going to have a a special discount like twenty dollars off registration if you use the code overcomers and so you can apply this discount to the early bird prices before december 31st or the regular rates that start in 2024 that's axe29.com slash next look forward to seeing you there
1: It was, it was probably one of the worst nights of my life. Um, like she said, I couldn't be reasoned with. I didn't think I had a problem. The, the craziest thing is this. So uh, we end up calling around. We find Sante, which is located out in Argyle. Yeah. Love them. Uh, and they're like, yeah, we can do 30 days. And so in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to be out of my house for 30 days. This is crazy, yeah. right? And I get there. actually back up. So we find out we're going that morning. I call my work. Saturday morning. Yep, Saturday morning. I let my work know, hey, um, I'm going to be out of business for a little while. Out of pocket for the next 30 or so. Thankfully, I have an amazing boss. He's a believer. And uh, he's like, yeah, do what you got to do, man. So what I had to do, though, was, again, knowing I was going, I think we were going around like 10, I was like, I'm going to go pick up some snacks so I can bring some stuff in with me. And, of course, I go straight to the liquor store. And I drank three or four uh, those little airplane bottles. I'm like, I got to get this in before I go. And even on our drive there, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know why we're doing this. I don't have a drinking problem. Like, that's how delusional I was. I was completely severed from logic in any way. And getting there and then being surrounded by those people and just seeing, wow, like, I'm not the only one. Yeah. That let me kind of let my guard down and be like, okay, I can be honest here. I don't have to put on a face. I don't have to be an actor. I don't have to do any of this stuff. Just be me. I can let it all out. No one's going to think differently of me. This is safe. And so going into that rehab environment was critical for me because it was the first time in a long time that I had felt comfortable around people and that I could just be myself. And I wouldn't have some sort of back and forth, um, you know, fighting or arguing or just tension that was turned all the way up. Uh, that environment provided me kind of peace in that time. Yeah. And so I got to hear a lot of stories there. And the beauty of that place is it's a dual treatment facility. So they treat your addiction, but then they treat your traumas. Yeah, And so they're going just as hard at the traumas as they are, the addiction. And that was needed.
0: That kind of below-the-line work.
1: Yes. Yeah. So being on the other side of that now, I see how critical that was. I have a hard time believing that anyone can get sober and stay sober long-term without getting their traumas and the things that are deep down in the root of it all, without getting that addressed. Yeah, And that's what I had to do. I mean, I had to go all the way back through my life, and it was almost like going to school. You know, we were going to classes every day from the time you woke up to the time you pretty much were going to go to bed. And so we're doing homework. I'm, I'm completing these courses and uh, just really digging into all the things that I've been through, what led me here, what I do, and just kind of my coping. And and so I was just numb, 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 numb. And I also, at that same time, didn't think that I had a problem. Yeah. Like, how crazy is that? So I, I couldn't be reasoned with, like she said. There was no way to tell me that I had a drinking problem at that time. But once I started to kind of clear up a little bit and my mind started to come back, um, <laughs> I was there and they could have visitors on Sundays for a few hours at a time. And Lindsay would come and she'd bring jewels and she'd just kind of hand me jewels. And then she would just stare daggers. And it was just tense. Yeah. And so I'm learning how to not drink and how to cope with my emotions soberly. And I'm also doing that in a situation, in an environment where I have no idea what I'm leaving to when I finally get out of here. Yeah. I don't know if I'm coming home. I don't know if I'm going to have a wife. I don't know if I'm going to be raising my daughter. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it could have ended in two very bad ways. I I could have easily died, and there's another man with my wife and raising my child, or I could have just continued down that path and God didn't intervene. Yeah. And and just kept going, going, going. And I think that ultimately, it scared me to death that I would not have her, and I wouldn't have Jules yeah. in my life. That that was the most terrifying thing I could imagine. And so I knew I had to get right, and I knew I had to get right spiritually. And all these things are kind of intertwined. And as that kind of progressed, and Lindsay would come and drop Jules off for a few hours, and we would play, it was just that constant reminder of, hey, keep going. Yeah. Like, you can do this. You can't do it alone, but you can do this. And what's your
0: relationship with Jesus like? Well, so you're, you're in rehab— Lindsay's done. Yeah. Um, she's gonna let you see your girl, but she's she's done. Oh yeah. So she's coming up. What's prayer like? What's your relationship with Jesus like in this season? Is that is he someone you're clinging to in this? Is he somebody you're blaming? Is he what, what's the relationship like yeah. that month you're in impatient?
1: There was never any blame um towards God. You know, I once once I was on the side of things where I was sobering up. I, I was able to start seeing all the ways that i had failed and I'd caused this. And so there was no point where I, I, sh- I shook my fist at God and said, this is you. How how could you let this happen? None of that happened with me. Um, for, for me, it was more the dialogue began again. Okay. So prayer started ramping up. Just honestly being able to be vulnerable and honest about these things that I'm now seeing clearly. And I think that that, was a really good foundation for me in the early days to move forward with because I needed, I needed that initial deep, gut wrenching, laying it all out there and just, just confessing it out yeah. loud to God and and just doing that in in a way where I'm not putting it up, I'm not changing things, I'm not there's not a detail I'm leaving out like it was just raw and ugly, and I. I felt like once I had been able to do that and acknowledge my part in that, it it was allowing me to now open myself back up to Jesus and, and just walking in that again, like seeking the truth, seeking gospel, seeking all these things. And I couldn't do that when my mind was altered yeah. in the way that it was. And so, like I said, I, I thought I was a Christian. Yeah. I, I thought I was saved. I, I was a churchgoer, and yeah. you were— You know, you yell at people every Sunday about that. I do. But it is a bad hobby. Mm -hmm. And for me, being on the other side of it, I was meeting with Trevor on a weekly basis. Trevor Joy, love him so much. Um, he He was huge for me, too, because we talked through a lot of things. And he kept on asking me, like, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from getting there? And I just kept on saying, it's just hard for me to accept that God loves me. Yeah. And and so that was the hump I had to get over. But as things kind of played out and time went on, I was starting to feel that way. I was finally starting to feel, you know, God God does love you. Look what he just saved you from. Yeah. He could have let you die. Yeah. He didn't. You're the you're you're here because of him. You would not be here without him. Yeah. And so that's a picture of everything. Yeah. But in that moment, that that's the only thing that would have saved me. Yeah. And so he saved me literally. In life, and he he also saved my soul.
0: Lindsay, you 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 had survived the season of some significant compartmentalization, like you, me, Andrea, we're we're all good friends. That not not many of us were looped into this. So you got this home life, then you're doing so well here, and then and then it wasn't compartmentalized anymore because we all knew. Um and so I got to see part of that, certainly not all of that, but angry. And want it out. You want it out. I don't want this to work. Mm -hmm. But one, I think anybody listening can understand the anger. Talk a little bit about the tension between I'm so angry and I'm so done. And I can't imagine that he's ever going to change. And I just want to go. And the fact that you didn't, Mm -hmm. that you kept showing up and staring daggers and Mm -hmm. wrestling with your own flesh. I I mean – I have to imagine you wanted to hurt him back. I have to imagine you wanted... So talk to... And and particularly, I think what would be helpful is your relationship with the Lord and your conversations with the Lord and your wrestle with the scriptures. And as you're in this season in particular, where now it's not compartmentalized, it's blown up, Mm -hmm. and we all know it now. These people that you had kind of tried to not want to know that, now we all know.
2: the anger wasn't so much about Ben drinking because I was always a part of our relationship. The anger was, I felt so abandoned by him. Yeah. And I um, I think I've just made my way in this world not needing another person, not needing to be dependent on another person. That dependency is really terrifying for me. I love being dependent on. I do not love depending on others. Um, that's my own childhood you know you know all that yeah. all that stuff my own childhood upbringing and so I for the longest time in our relationship I didn't need I, I didn't think I needed Ben yeah. um, I was we, we had a really good at times coexisting relationship and partnership and um, and our marriage was not, was not really healthy I didn't know that but it worked out for me and then all of a sudden I get pregnant with Jules I needed Ben I'm like oh shoot like yeah. for the rest of my life I'm gonna need you you yeah. know um, because we're gonna do this together and then my dad get sick and i needed you and you weren't there and and you and it felt like you chose something else it felt like you actively chose not to be present for me and not to be um available to me and then my dad dies and i needed you and then i have i have jewels 13 days later after my dad died and i needed you and you weren't there you were drunk on her when she was born and kept drinking. And I was so angry because this was the fight that we kept fighting that I was right about. Like, I was right. I was right. I was right to be angry with you. I was right to tell you to get help. And you just didn't. And and so finally it gets to this. And um I needed you to watch her daughter while I was on staff retreat. And I needed, needed you to just have it together. I needed to be able to trust you. And I couldn't. And I was so angry. And... And so the idea of me just being done is like, yeah, I think it was like I wanted to hurt him, like as much as he hurt me. Like, I don't, you don't deserve this. You don't deserve me. And I'll, I won't take Jules away from you because I know Jules needs you, but I did not want to have the same type of relationship with you. And so, yeah, I kept showing up. Um, I also, it was really hard for me because I also wanted you to succeed. Um, I wanted you to come out of rehab and the, so Ben was saying they they sold us 30 days he ended up staying 60 they yeah. wanted him there for 90 and uh, I kept showing up um, because I felt like a like a duty to you like you you need support to to be to recover you need support uh, addicts need their support system to not enable them but to help them recover and to help stay in that and and so to some degree I'm, I was going to be that, and I didn't know what that looked like, and I didn't know if our marriage was going to last. But I knew that I was going to be a part of that support group because I'm I'm Jules's mom, and you're Jules's dad, and there's just there's just the two of us, and um, so that's why I showed up. But with God, I was so angry, and I you said you didn't shake your fist at him, I did. I was so angry, and I feel so uh, foolish because. He answered those prayers that I was praying so desperately, just not the way I wanted him to. Yeah, and I didn't want to get hurt in the process, and I didn't know I was going to. And I think that's part of a marriage is like when you get married to someone, you covenant with this other person. Their failures, your you know, their choices and their failures, you are you're going to experience the consequences of, and it doesn't feel fair, and there's no justice in that. But it's what I said I do too, and I just so. I was angry with God. I didn't want to forgive you. I don't know when I had this realization. I don't think it was while you're in rehab, but it started to happen while you're in rehab, and then it certainly happened after. I had um, the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. I heard God audibly say, you have been forgiven much. You are to forgive much. And it sent me to Matthew 18. It sent me to that parable, reading it, and— I just felt like I was always going to be like the better you know servant um I'm always like oh i i can I'm forgiving, I can easily yeah. forgive, and I saw myself in that and I was the unforgiving servant that God had forgiven me so much, it's an unfathomable amount of debt that I would have owed and the sacrifice he made for me on the cross, and in comparison. Uh, That was like $2 million in our today's currency, whereas you owed me like $50 in today's currency. That's what the parable says. And I shook my—I was angry with you, and I wanted no justice for you, and I wanted to receive forgiveness for myself but not for you. And, um, And God just pointed me there like, look who you are. Look what's happened. And, and we fought about that and uh, but slowly, you and the Lord me we fought yeah Lord the Lord and I fought about that um, and I was really just stuck and stubborn and and he was so gracious and kind to just slowly and surely just soften my heart to you because I had been forgiven much and now I had the opportunity to show you forgiveness
0: mm-hmm. So we get to the end of 60 days of rehab. Um, you're doing below the line work, mm-hmm. like stuff in your heart, stuff in your spirit, which yeah. is really painful stuff. And then your body's detoxed. You've got a clear head. You've got a reset with the Lord, as, as you described it there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a desire like I, I need to orient my life around him. And then I was it... In that back thirty days, where you begin to see Lindsay soften towards you, or soften towards the marriage, or was that no? Uh, I got out of rehab, and I still wasn't sure where I was going.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, the whole time I was in there, it was kind of just uncertainty, and so had a lot of fear around that. Um, you know, selfishly, I thought, why do I want to get sober if I'm walking home to nothing? Yeah, if I'm leaving here and I have no wife and no child um, to live with, to, to raise, to to be a part of. And so that was one of the things I had to wrestle with early on. It's just like, yeah, it'd be great if I'm sober and I get clear headed and everything. And I don't have to depend on this and my body's not going to break down. My organs are not going to fail. Like those are all good things. But if I do all that and it costs me this, what's the win in that? And so that was kind of the point in time where I had to get right with my relationship with Jesus. Yeah. I had to have something to rely on that was going to be constant no matter what what I went through, no matter how this turned out. Obviously, I wanted it all to work out and everything to eventually be okay, but there was no guarantees of anything at that point in time. And so all of our interactions within that 60 days were very cold and just very tense. And yeah, just, just a lot of—I prayed a lot about our marriage. I prayed a lot about all the sins that I'd committed against her and against Jules. And just everybody that was around me because I was I was lying to everybody about everything. Yeah. I had to. I had to protect this. Because if I lose this and I'm outed and everyone's going to see me differently, look at me differently, think of me differently, no one's going to ever want to be around me or accept me again. Like all these things are running through my mind. And so I, I had to deal with that. But I think coming out of it, I, I did exactly what I was asked to do and then some while I was there. Like I said, it was like courses, and so I was I was working so hard to just dig and get it all out there and do all the work. And once the work was done, I was like, "Okay, here we go, it's go time." And I went home, and <laughs> it, it was it was frozen in there, you know. Yeah. So it was it was a lot of kind of figuring out our roles and and honestly trying to get it, get to know each other again, because I think we're still even in the process of of just learning more about each other. And it, it's crazy to say that after being married 13 years?
2: You did great. Thank yeah, you. It's been Thank 13 you. years.
1: Yeah. It, it's strange saying, yeah, 13 years in, 15 years overall, we're getting to know each other. But I had become so much of a shell of myself yeah. over those years that she's being introduced to a new person yeah. all over again. And that, that was important. But again, even in that, there was still the uncertainty and the unknown of where it was going to go. And in like, what if this doesn't work out? And so that, that terrified me.
0: Yeah. And here you, you've been at the house by yourself, you and Jules. And I'm guessing there was a sense of, well, I want to put words in your mouth, but Ben's in rehab. He's being handled. He's being taken care of by professionals. It's just you and Jules at the house. Is that, did you enjoy that quiet? Did that, was that quiet disruptive to you? Was it? Was there a sense of peace that you had because Ben was there, and you and Sweet Jules were just getting to bond? And were you resentful because of the work of that? Mm. I'm curious about whether him coming home is I'm finally going to have some help, or him coming home is I don't I don't want him here.
2: Yeah. So while he was in rehab, we um, in order to visit, you had to go to the support group. Um, which is a, is a brilliant practice. And so the support ends up being trained as well, kind of those similar courses that he was talking about. And I remember sitting in one of those support group sessions, and um, I think I was the only spouse there that had a spouse in rehab, everyone else with the parents of a child, yeah. of, a, like of an adult child, but of, of a child in rehab. And I remember another family articulating what I was experiencing. They felt bad. They felt bad. I didn't feel bad. They felt bad because the chaos was removed from the home Yeah. like there's actual peace at the home and so what you were just saying uh, yeah is what we experienced um sure it, it was me doing the 100% of um taking care of Jules and she was 10 months at the time 11 months we actually ended up celebrating her first birthday while Ben was in rehab um and he couldn't make it and um, he got out just a few days afterwards just before Christmas and um so uh but it wasn't—the it, chaos had been removed from our home, and so it was unbelievably wonderful to some degree. Uh, I didn't have to worry about him, yeah. having to manage him, the chaos that you brought to our home, not knowing what's going to happen and why can't you just stop and why—you know, so anyways, th- those things were just not— present. And the thought of him coming back in the unknown, talking about the unknown, like, one, I'd, I didn't know what marriage was going to look like. Two, I didn't know if I wanted you home. Three, I didn't know what this new person was going to do, reintroducing what was the chaos. Now repaired, kind of, but still early in it, returning to this dynamic. It was, the the closer we got to that end date, the my anxiety was growing. Okay.
0: All right. Is your heart warming to reconciliation and restoration in the marriage? Is it still like, I don't, I, I mean, just let him get home. And I'll I, like, where, where's your, in your own wrestle with the Lord? Uh, how is that playing out as he's heading home? I mean, you, you're letting him come home in right. a sense. You didn't have to let him right. come home. He could have gone, you could have said, praise God, I'm glad you got 60 days and you're feeling better and you're, but I want you to go live with your folks yeah. or, but you chose to let him come home. So had your heart began to warm towards reconciliation at this point? Were you hopeful, or what? What was driving the come back to this house, been?
2: Yeah, I think I was not allowing myself to feel any sort of hope. Um, okay. I did not want to be found foolish if um, if he relapsed. And they say relapse is a part of recovery, and yeah. I wanted them to not say that so often, but they say <laughs> it. Yeah, uh, and I uh, so I didn't want to feel. I don't want to feel hopeful. I don't want yeah. to be foolish. I don't remember um, how I felt exactly. Like, I guess it had to have been some thawing out and some yeah. moving towards one another. Uh, but right before he left, they required us to go through family counseling where we sat with this man. And he, I read a basically like a victim impact statement to Ben. This is how you have affected me. Your alcoholism has affected me. Ben read a, I don't know what you want to call it, what's like the anti that, like, um, I did this to you statement. <laughs> and so yeah. he just acknowledged things and more. He acknowledged things I didn't know about in this statement, confessions. And uh, and then from there, we we created boundaries, established boundaries, um, agreed upon boundaries, and some checkpoints. And so he didn't move back into the bedroom, but he moved back home. Okay, And then we just were able to establish from the get-go with the help of this counselor, here's what Here's what you can expect, and here's what is off the table. But but here's a checkpoint from when we can have this discussion again. That was helpful. I needed that. Yeah. Um. I needed to know that I had agency. I needed to know that divorce was on the table. Yeah. I did need that. I I did ask permission from, um, Brian, who was a pastor at the time, my boss at the time, an elder at the time. Do I have permission to divorce him, or what? What would that look like? And um, like biblically speaking, you know. And I needed to know that that was on the table so that I could choose to let you come home and I could choose to stay in the marriage. And that's what I had to work towards.
0: Ben, I'm, I'm so curious about, you know, again, I'm I've got more distance from you than I do Lindsay because she works here. But you seem to me, and maybe this is just the real version of you that I'm getting to know. Yeah. Um, you seem much more awake to the things of the Lord, and much more awake to a desire to be a godly man. And it appears, again, I have distance. Maybe this is not it. That that's moved beyond. Oh shoot! I just want to I want to make sure Lindsay doesn't leave, and I get to be here with my daughter. Um, as you've come out of recovery, and we're how many days sober now? How many?
1: Three and a half years.
0: Three and a half years yeah. sober. Be four four years. years. Man, that's amazing. Four years sober. Talk a little bit about looking back, how the Lord's brought you through, kind of where you are in this moment, in in regards to the whole thing, in regards to recovery. I, because we don't we don't drink anymore. I mean, we're not drinking anymore. And then and and then even, you know, for people who are listening, drinking is a. I mean, it's a freedom that if you're free to in, enjoy, you could. But it's also just not something to play lightly with, or to make small of, or to make because it does have. If you're not careful, it has a devastating effect. And so I always want to be mindful. You you may be free and I'm not, I don't usually get preachy on the overcomers. You, you might be free to enjoy, but you actually never really know what's in the room with you. You, you just don't. And, and my, you know, been here like super high function. I, I had no idea. There was one night I knew um, that was the only time in all the years that, that I'd interact with you or run in with you that I had any clue just one time. And, and so I would just be mindful as you enjoy your freedom that you don't really know who's there and how that works. So to be really careful with that, really careful with that. But I would love to hear, like looking back, here's how I see the Lord's hand in this. And this is kind of where Jesus and I, or Jesus and me are today.
1: Yeah. So, I I mean, I grew up as a preacher's kid. So all throughout my my early adolescence and life, we were in the church. We were always around it. We were always hearing about it. Um, it was, it was one of those scenarios where for someone who was saved early on, it's an ideal environment. For, so good experience. Correct. Like
0: some people say a preacher's kid, and that, it wasn't a good experience, yeah, but well, you had a good
1: one. So as far as my relationship with my parents, yes. Yeah. Um, I got to see the ugliest side of things with my dad because obviously there's always stuff going on behind the curtain mm-hmm. and going from church to church and all that. Uh, there, there was a lot there. So there was a little bit of baggage from that, but I would say overall— positive experience. Um, but I've always been somebody who who had to ask the questions. And so when someone tells me something at face value, I, I need to know why. I need you to, I, I want to play devil's advocate just so I can get both sides of that. And so that's my natural bent. And it it doesn't come in handy with faith because you start just pulling things apart. And you're just asking questions here and here. Oh, you can't answer that. Okay, well, great. Never gonna know that. Yeah. And so I was using all those things as reasons not to believe or not fully commit. Sure. And in, in a weird way, like, there was never a point where I questioned if God was real, if Jesus was real. Like, none of those things came across my my plate. But even in that, I was like, yeah, but I don't like this, this Old Testament thing over here. You know, like, there was always just reasons not to. Yeah. And so I would say through college and kind of my 20s, I was doing more self-discovery and just trying to figure things out. I want to stand on this as my own and not because I'm attached to mom and dad. Sure. And so that—unfortunately, that phase kind of interrupted and ran into my drinking ramping up. And so that just complicated things tenfold, you know. I, I could not think clearly. I could not think deeply. I, I was not having um, moments that were making sense as far as spirituality and relationships and things like that. So it was just—I wasn't capable of it at that point in time. I, I, I will call the day Lindsay came home and everything just was out of whack and terrible. I, I will call that the worst day of my life, but it's also the day that I love the most. Because that day changed everything. Yeah, That day changed my trajectory. It changed our trajectory. It changed who I am as a parent, who I am as a husband, uh, who, is, who I am as a friend. And so that day was needed and necessary for for us to get here. If that day hadn't happened, I I swear to you on everything, I, I would have died. Yeah. Because when I was in there, they told me I was an end-stage alcoholic. And so that opened my eyes. I'm like, wow. Like, I had no idea it was that. Caesars probably should have given me some yeah. <laughs> heads up. Yeah. But uh, I was lying to myself about that too. So now, having seen all of that, all the collateral damage I created, all the lies, all the sin, all the shame— Um, I, I was in those times, I identified myself with shame. Yeah. That, that was who I was. I did not feel worthy of connection with anyone. I didn't deserve anything from anyone. I didn't deserve love, nothing. Now that I'm in this side of it and I'm able to actually feel feelings and think things and, and actually have in-depth conversations and have some deep water to me, that has made my walk with Christ and and just my understanding of things so much more beautiful because all of that bad shit yeah led to beauty. Yeah in the end. And it wouldn't have done that without God, with without an intervention from him. He I will never, ever, ever not think this. The reason I was so out of it that day was because of him. I did nothing different. Yeah. He he said, Today's the day. We're done here. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's, it's funny because even in the boring moments, I, I just appreciate things. Um, whether it's just sitting on the couch with Jules or even just driving in the car and I feel good. I'll, I'll sit there and go, man, I'm, I'm recognizing this. Like, thank you. yeah Thank you for giving me this. And so it makes me stop down and appreciate just the mundane. yeah Because it's not that chaotic lifestyle I was a part of before. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't involve the worst version of me existing at this point you know I I can I can say that's a past version and yeah. feel confident in that and I know that's not everyone's story and I know it's difficult for a lot of people a lot of people need aA every day or recovery yeah. every week and those types of things I'm all for that and and I would champion that you know to the end of time but for me there became a point where me talking with God I'm like when is this coming back yeah like I was just waiting for it and it, it never did, and so I feel like He healed me, and like I said, just the beauty and in, in all the little things now. My eyes are open; the veil has been lifted. All that's gone now, and now I can just have a relationship. Yeah, and it—it's it, <laughs> He's seen me at my worst, and He saved me at my worst. Our relationship is something it's never been in the past, and so, man, <laughs> I wouldn't be here without Him. Yeah, and it—it's amazing. Yeah.
0: I love that. I do this at the end of every episode because this is the hope. I mean, this is my hope in doing this. Like right now, at this very moment, somebody's got headphones on or they're in their car. They're going for a walk. They're, um, gosh, I don't know if they're on a plane and they downloaded this episode and they either are listening to this episode as a part of kind of the the batch that we released or they saw in the title oh addiction or alcoholism and there there's some personal attachment to it they're a spouse or they are the one who is in that space where they're maybe where you were and you're like man i don't i don't think maybe this is the problem i, I think maybe there's a different problem and i'm i'm drinking but that's not everybody's telling me that drinking's the problem but maybe it's something else and i want both of you to do this lindsay so i'll give you a heads up to to be thinking um and and knowing that what you're going to have to have a supernatural breakthrough from the Holy Spirit to even let an addict hear this in a way that would be helpful, but trusting that the Spirit can do that. What what would you say to a man or a woman who they're the ones hiding and drinking, they're the ones managing life with alcohol, drinking 10, 15 drinks a, a day just to to get through and, and feel it's just kind of normal or maybe not normal is the right word, but this is like, like what would you say to somebody who is listening to this like right now, they're, they're hearing my voice, they're about to hear yours, uh, of how to m- maybe consider getting help in this season?
1: That's a great question. Um, I mean, first and foremost, <laughs> Jesus has to be in the mix, in my opinion. I know that there's probably people that are not saved that do get right and all that, but but they're not experiencing the fullness of the other side of it. That's right. And so that, that first and foremost needs to be um, at the top of the list. Beyond that, I mean, markers that are ignored constantly are, hey, are, are you drinking alone? Are, are, are you a former social drinker that now drinks by yourself, that hides it, that has to do things in secrecy, having to take cash out to pay for things, things like that? There's, there's all these little things that in your mind you justify and you have a warped view of. You're just not capable of seeing it for what it is. And so if there's any secrecy, if there's any hiding, if there's any lying, if there's any aloneness in your drinking, those are huge red flags. And the best thing that could ever happen to you is to get found out. Yeah, It's the worst thing that you'll ever experience, and it's the best thing also. Yeah, the
0: the opportunity, I think, that's here right now is you don't have to be found out. You can, you can let it be known. Yeah. So in most cases, you have to get busted. It's what I think is called a severe mercy. Um, but the the ability to rebuild trust on the other side, which and, and if you're an addict and you're listening to this, you can't even fathom this. And so I'm just trusting that the Holy Spirit will do something here. Like to out yourself. <laughs> goes a long way to those who are around you and who love you, who already see something or they they know something's not right, but they're not quite sure what it is, like to own, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a mess and I need to get help. This is what I'm doing. You don't have to wait to be found out. You, you can actually own it in a way that I think is going to be really helpful uh, as you begin to heal um, and, you know, like we've said a couple of times in this podcast, heal both what I would call below the line uh, or those kind of um, roots that led to the addiction to begin with, and then the addiction itself, kind of the physiological, neurological bents that occur in addiction. Now, Lindsay, maybe that person isn't the addict. Maybe they're again, on a plane, sitting on a dock, looking out at a lake. They're running their favorite trail right now. And even them being alone right now is them just trying to survive this, the pain of this loved one that has either completely betrayed them or just refuses to get help when it's clear to the, the husband or wife uh, or brother or sister or mom and dad that this is a significant issue. And and nothing I can do is going to wake them up. Or maybe you feel like you want to speak to more, I don't think I'll ever be able to forgive them. Or like wherever they are in that spectrum, what, what do you What do you feel like prompted to say to the spouse or the dad or the mom or the brother or the sister that's kind of on the other side of addiction?
2: Uh, first, I just want to say to the person um, who might find themselves in similar shoes as me that I'm just so sorry. I know that that is a very unfair position to be in, a really painful one. It's been said the addict chooses their choices, but they don't get to choose their consequences. But for the the loved one and their support, you don't get to choose any of that. And yet you also experience consequences. And so it is unfair. And what you're going through is really hard. And I'm just so sorry. I would say reach out for help. I didn't do that. Um, and, I, and there are plenty of reasons why maybe I didn't do it when I did. Um, but if you are experiencing a loved one who's going through the throes of addiction, do reach out for help. Reach out to someone that you can trust um, who might be able to help you see if you're seeing things correctly and then form a plan. I would also say, uh, make sure that you are finding ways to care for yourself, establishing boundaries so that you don't get entangled in their addiction in the throes of their addiction in the chaos um i know that's easier said than done but do find ways for you to receive support you to receive care Um, don't let yourself be forgotten about or even taken advantage of and then lastly and this isn't said lastly because it's the least important in fact it's the most important i would just say pray continue to pray for your loved one um I, I know I, I said this earlier that I was I was I felt like my prayers were not being received by God um, because I didn't get to see the activity that he was doing but your prayers are being received by God we know that to be true. you are praying the Father's heart over the person that you love. He does not want his children or his creation to be, enslaved to bondage, and that is what the addict is experiencing. They're in bondage. And so be praying the Father's heart over your loved one, that they are free from slavery, free from that bondage, free from that sin and that mental health struggle. And so that that's what I would say to that person.
1: Whatever that you're going through, if if you feel like you're going down that path or you're, you're already there or you think there's some some potential flags that could send you in that direction— um, I can speak from experience and say, you're miserable right now. You, you may not think you are, you may not feel like you are, but there's misery in that. There's misery in secrecy and hiding. And the, the most incredible thing you can do is is confess that, walk with people in that, and you'll see the freedom on the other side is just so beautiful. Yeah, There's so much there. There's so much grace there. And I was received in ways that I never expected, from so many people, you included, um, where I just didn't know what I was walking out to. Yeah. I got back in the real world, and I'm like, "So who's with me and who's against me?" Yeah. You know? And you kind of just operate like everyone's going to be against me because now they know all my stuff, you yeah. know, like all my worst parts. And everybody came to me in love and just welcomed me in, and that that's just a a true picture of of what Christ does with us. And so, if if you're in that stuff, man say something to somebody. You're not the only one going through it. Yeah, There's so many of us out there. And the reason you don't hear much about it is because people don't want to talk about that. That's right. You know, we we all want to have this version of ourselves that everybody sees at church or at work or whatever. Um, but that, that's just, that's an exhausting place to be. And there's no joy in that whatsoever. Yeah. And so just just say something, man. Just just reach out, man, woman, what, whatever's going on. It, it can get better. If if he can save me from this, he can save you from this. And he will. Yeah. If if you believe in him and you trust him, I fully believe that anyone that's in that position can be fully healed yeah. by Christ.
0: So I'm I'm curious now because we're out of rehab. We are living in the same house. We are clean, almost four years clean. Um, but but I know you well enough to know. Like it's not done, it's not fixed, it's not like you moved past it. It's like it's a part of your story. So what is day in, day out, following Jesus, loving my wife, loving my daughter, working my job, still get stressed, still can have some anxiety, still so, so how are you continuing to uh, pursue the Lord as this is part of your story? It's not like, like I said, you don't, you didn't get past it. It's it's like a part of your story. So, how are you continuing on to maybe grow into health, grow into maturity, grow into? This might be great to hear from both of you on this. But Ben, why don't you start us? How, how does that how does that look in this season?
1: We're we're always going to have one of those marriages that is marked by this this time, and like you said previously, like no one's guaranteed to have that on the other side. But I would say, honestly, more than anything. It's, it's just a gratitude that I've never felt before. And so, um, you know, counseling is a part of that. Got some stuff lined up there. Always praying about it. I mean, every day that, that I go to bed, I I thank Him for getting me through that day. Even if that day is not something that's even causing me issue yeah. as far as drinking and such. But um, I just say, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for, for me going to bed another night without any alcohol in me, without any of the chaos that that created, yeah. and without all the sin and shame. And 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 just having the ability to look at that and know it's not me. That's part of who I who I've been and who I was. But that exact version of me no longer exists. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so what, what I want to do is as I continue to heal, as Lindsay continues to heal, as our marriage continues to heal, just honoring what the Lord has done. Mm-hmm. And, and just, just every single time I get the chance saying thank you. Like that that couldn't have happened, but it did. Yeah, It could have easily not, but it did. Yeah, And so my prayer life looks so different nowadays than it used to. I'm going to probably have depression my entire life. I'm probably going to have anxiety my entire life, but I'm not defined by those things. Christ defines me. That's right. Those things are just things that I deal with. And so things are not perfect. Things are never going to be. And kind of the fun now is— and now that I can actually see things and, and do things clearly and I can communicate and and have depth, like that's been fun for us to kind of get to know each other again yeah. and learn things about each other and just just learn how to, to be husband and wife um, in a biblical sense and honor each other in that way. And so I I firmly believe that if you are on the other side of this thing, definitely continue getting accountability, counsel. Whatever that looks like, medication. You know, I'm, I take medication for anxiety and stuff like that as well, but those don't define me. Yeah, and so that's that's huge for me. And I think that knowing that in my core makes it so much easier to not even think about a sip. Yeah, of alcohol.
2: Yeah, I am. I, um, I think for the first time in a long time, because you know you haven't been an addict all your life, or well, at least an alcoholic all your life you're you're actually capable of getting the help that you've needed. It was impossible for you to gain tools to help uh, fight against compulsions that were unhealthy. It was it was impossible for you to gain um the healthy coping mechanisms, but you have that ability now, and that's what we're working on. So um alcoholism, I pray, is behind us. Like I said, they say relapse is a part of recovery. Um, I believe you are a recovering alcoholic, a, a recovered um, alcoholic, a, a recovering addict, um, and um, so that's that's uh, a part of your your journey and ours. But you have a chance now to actually to actually gain the tools and to and that uh, helps with the healing process, which I'm excited for. I'm I'm grateful for. And then Ben, I just want to say to you, just here, I am so proud of you. It is, it is a huge and significant thing what you have been able to do. Being sober one day after being um, an addict and an alcoholic for a prolonged period of time, that is significant. And you have, you have been sober. You have been able to remain sober for many days. We're coming up on four years this October. So I'm just so proud of you. And I just want to tell you that. I love you.
0: Well, it's been a beautiful thing to be an outsider and be just close enough um, to have known you before, to watch as it kind of blows up in everybody's face, to be on this side of it now, and to just watch you guys interact You know, almost four years after um, and the healing that's evident, the care that you have for one another that's grown. Um, so it's a like a true story of, the goodness of Jesus working in your life and not all stories in that way. Uh, And yet yours, yours looks like it's, it's ending that way and then growing into uh, all that Christ has for you. And so thank you for uh, tuning in uh, to this episode of the overcomers. Uh, Just want to remind you again um, that what we're trying to do is show you that the struggle to cling to Jesus through the highs and lows of life through the disappointments and brokenness, through our own foolishness, through that the grace of God and his love for us is profound. And if we'll just keep getting up, just keep turning our eyes to him, just keep clinging to him on the long journey home, we will find him to be more than faithful. We will find him to be present and good and his grace bigger than we can imagine. Hey guys, Pastor Matt. Hope that you enjoyed this episode of The Overcomers. You find your heart more encouraged in the Lord, uh, more dedicated to his kingdom. Uh, just want to remind you if you found this helpful in, in this season of life, I this is what I want to do. I want to encourage your heart. I want to lift up your eyes and, and let you behold the beauty of Jesus. Uh, and so, on top of the Overcomers podcast, I also started a website just pastormattchandler.com. Uh, and on my website, there's all sorts of resources, but but you can also um, sign up for a monthly newsletter where I'm just trying to ring from the scriptures um, encouragement for your souls. And so you, there are two different newsletters. There's one for um, just everyday Christians seeking to be faithful where they are. And then there's, a, there, there's another newsletter uh, for pastors and church leaders. Uh, and so sign up for either one of those or both of those. Uh, but man, look forward to staying in contact with you. God bless you.